So Freaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this rip of TFTC sat back down with our good friend, Texas Slim. I think it's our fourth or fifth podcast we've done since last November. A lot of you freaks are probably like, why are you having on so much? Well, the work he's doing is very important. We need to secure beef. We need to educate people about the importance of market access to quality nutrients, and as well as educating the people who provide us with those nutrients about Bitcoin and how it can help them out. So... I love doing these check-in rips with Slim because I think there's a lot of material progress that's happening on the ground. And there does seem to be a growing movement that I think is important to, to highlight as it grows because uh, we need to keep the momentum building as the centralized forces in this world try to, to force us into the proverbial cattle farms to the factory farms. They're trying to do it. They want you to eat the bugs. They want you to live in the pod. They want you malnourished and stupid. And this is the counterpunch to that. So uh, even though we've spoken four or five times since last November, uh, every conversation is filled with new information and a different vibe. And this one certainly lived up to that. This trip was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your Bitcoin custody model. If you have your coins on an exchange or a third-party lender like Celsius or Voyager, uh, you're finding that that was a single point of failure. They took your Bitcoin, they lent it out to terrible speculators who lost your Bitcoin. And uh, if you were using those services and you weren't able to get your Bitcoin off, you now don't have access to your Bitcoin and may never get access to it again. This is why we use Unchained Capital. They help you eliminate these single points of failure by leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. They have their Vault product, which is a two or three multi-sig. You hold two keys, Unchained holds one. You always have control of your Bitcoin, but if you're ever in a pinch, Unchained is there to be the second in a two or three multi-sig quorum. Uh, again, they have a concierge team that's going to take you from zero to having a vault set up with some sats in it in no time. It's a white glove service. They have impeccable uh, customer uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, customer service. That's the word I'm looking for. If you're looking for the top-notch customer service to take you from zero to having a hyper-secure uh, Bitcoin custody model, go to unchained.com slash concierge. This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains. Slush pool. It will be Brains pool come September 1st. Less than, uh, less than 30 days here. It's August 3rd. We've got uh, 27 more days of slush pool. Enjoy it. They have to switch to brains pool. If you want to find out why, go listen to the episode I recorded with Jan Chapik, uh, the co-founder of Brains, a couple weeks ago. Uh, very high signal rip, uh, but he also explains why they have to go to brains pool. Uh, what is brains? Brains is here. To, to, to help miners out, providing them with firmware, with Brains OS Plus firmware. If you're a miner that has an ASIC that is compatible with this firmware and you're not using it, you are an idiot. Does it feel good to be an idiot? It's noon here. That's the noon bell. We have a noon bell in town. There's also an idiot bell that Brains is providing you and it is brains os plus firmware it prevents you from being an idiot download it on your asic if you have an asic that's compatible with brains os plus firmware 
uh, and you download it, you're going to stack more sats. If you don't download it, you're going to leave sats on the table. And only idiots leave sats on the table. They also have Brains Insights, which is a dashboard and blog that is going to give you all the information you need about the state of the mining ecosystem, as well as how to build a mining operation in different contexts. So go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com, and check all of this out. This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at HODL HODL. HODL HODL is here to bring you a lending platform that's peer-to-peer and leverages Bitcoin's multi, excuse me, native multi-sig properties. What you do is you put your Bitcoin up in a two or three multi-sig escrow account. You hold one key, your counterparty in the loan holds another key, and HODL HODL holds the third key. Uh, because you hold one key in this quorum, you have visibility into the escrow account throughout the duration of the loan so that you know that your Bitcoin is not being rehypothecated and lent out to the Three Arrows Capital of the world who's going to light it on fire uh, in Luna Terra or GPTC. Uh, go to lend.hodlhodl.com to check this out. Again, this is peer-to-peer, no KYC, no AML. You put Bitcoin up as collateral, you get stable coins back in return. As long as you pay back that loan plus the interest associated with it, you're going to get those sats back at the end of the day. Uh, they're also throwing the Baltic Honey Badger Conference in Riga, Latvia, exactly a month from today. Uh, go to BalticHoneyBadger.com to get tickets to that if you haven't already. I'm going to be there. Matt's going to be there. It's going to be a good time. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by Upstream Data, who gets a plug in this rip with Texas Slim. Uh, I am a customer of Upstream Data. I have a 50-kilowatt hash shut. We show a video of that in this episode, so if you're watching on YouTube, or Spotify, or wherever this is being syndicated, Bitcoin TV, uh, you'll be able to get a live demo of the upstream data hash hut uh, that I own. Uh, and it's pretty cool. Uh, upstream data is here uh, for miners across the spectrum, whether you're a home miner or you're a large oil and gas company looking to take advantage of your flared gas or stranded gas, or you're, even if you're a utility company who has excess electricity on site that you want to leverage to mine Bitcoin upstream data is building the tools for you for at-home miners they have their black box which is a box where you put a couple miners they have a bigger model that's coming out as well so you can put more than two in there uh, and basically what this box does is it controls the sound asics are really loud they go you put the asics in the black box you close the black box and it goes from to reduces the sound significantly so you can save your marriage and you don't have uh, an incessant wearing in your ears as you're mining Bitcoin. It also has uh, temperature control. Uh, these miners get really hot. Uh, you can be confident that if you're putting these miners in the box, you're closing it, putting it on the side of your house, that the miners aren't going to get too hot uh, and the box isn't going to catch on fire. It's flame retardant, all that good stuff. Uh, if you do want to pick up a black box and mine at home. Use the code FREAKS, F-R-E-A-K-S. You're going to get 5% off the black box. They're also going to take care of you beyond the black box. If you don't have an ASIC broker, uh, Upstream can get you ASICs as well. So they'll sell bundles of the black box and ASICs. And then if you're buying hash huts, I have a 50 kilowatt hash hut. They have larger hash huts, 900 kilowatts. And uh, I believe they just uh, released a 180 kilowatt hash hut as well. Uh, they're putting Chevys in them, FREAKS. Bitcoin mining on Chevy, Bitcoin running on Chevy, Upstream's making it happen. Go to upstreamdata.ca if you're looking to get a hash hut and a generator and some ASICs. Tell them the TFTC sent you. It's an incredible product. Again, you're going to get a demo of it in this episode. Enjoy it, freaks. Take care. 
You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Yeah, blue skies behind you. Have a nice ocean breeze. It's a good day. It's a very fitting day. Uh, very fitting that I'm sitting down speaking with you because we're going to record this episode and then I'm going to go pick up a quarter cattle. Are you really? Yes. Nice. Are you going to share the story? Everything about it? Yeah. Uh, well, it's a quarter beef from uh, Ginger House Farms in Northern Virginia. I did shake this rancher's hand as well. He was also on the podcast, Dr. Brooke Miller. Yes, Mr. Brooke Miller. I saw that podcast. Well done. Yes. Uh, and so his, uh, his daughter and son-in-law have become good friends and uh, they don't live too far from us down here. And uh, they said, hey, we're bringing up, bringing up some beef first week of August. You want us to, to get you a quarter? I said, yes, yes, ma'am. And uh, so I'm going to go pick it up today right after this. It's exciting, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's, uh, it's been funny down here. Uh, it's been a bit of a, a topic of conversation. Everybody's like, oh, you're picking up how much beef? A couple, <laughs> couple hundred pounds? It's like, yeah. Yeah, picking it up. Going to pick up the, the freezer just arrived this morning. It's so going to plug that in right before I head over there. Uh, and then my father and mother-in-law will get down. They'll have a, a freezer full of beef. It'll be, be a good, happy uh, feeling there. That's so. That's so awesome, man. It, it's 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 a kind of an unspoken thing that you can say whenever you're feeding your whole family. You know, it's not. You know, in the past, people go to the you know Walmart and fill up on you know grocery carts and stuff like that. And it's it's really fascinating the positivity and the strength you can give to your whole family by just filling up the damn freezer. It's so simple. It's complicated to most people. And it, it, it creates a conversations. It creates a new kind of education. Uh, look back maybe on history a little bit. It's every one of my family members have got a small little freezer and it's full. And it's like, yeah. I found my dad uh, opening it up the other day. I went and visited him and uh, right now I walk in the door, he's got it open and he's just staring at it. <laughs> you do an inventory, man? Do I need to go talk to Cole? Or I just got back from Colorado, so I didn't bring any back from Jason, but Justin and I have been really having some good conversations lately too. So it's just cool to have that part of uh, my lifestyle. It seems like the, uh, the Texas Slim international lifestyle spreading too. Like uh, I had my wife's cousins and aunts and uncles down. They were here uh, last week from even further up Northeast in the Connecticut area. And they had yeah. half cattle in their freezer. And I was uh, actually pretty shocked. I didn't take them as the types to, to be stocking up on beef, but it seems like there's, there's a trend growing across the country. People going and shaking the rancher's hands and loading up freezers with beef. Man, that's exciting. I, I don't hear as much as I'm told by friends, you know, because I, I don't look at a lot of stuff out there as far as the chatter and everything. So every time I have conversations with you guys, it's just like, man, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it is. It's like, here we are. You know, we started doing this and, 
you know, I think the first thing I did say was you need to go out and shake a damn rancher's hand <laughs> and understand the correlation of what all that means. And I had somebody pretty close to me in the beginning and I was saying, man, this is a freaking international lifestyle. People just don't realize it yet. And that's what I came up with that when I was on harvest, right? Last year, I said that and nobody knew what the hell I was talking about. And what I was seeing that day in North Dakota, <laughs> this is a funny story, man, pulled over and uh, we're, we're moving combines and tractors from fields. We were doing like 12,000 acres. And all of a sudden I see this white tourist man and there's a bunch of people taking pictures of what? What would you think they were taking pictures of? Up in North Dakota. During harvest. Uh, wheat. Wheat well, getting that's what you, Yeah, that's what we would think, right? As here, you know, it's in the heartland and everything. We're taking pictures of these massive fields of rapeseed. They were all in bloom and they were doing a photography session. And basically they were from Asia. And they've now turned in rapeseed photography into something like people do cherry blossoms. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell are they doing? They said, yeah, they come up here every year and they take pictures of rapeseed because that's canola. And so they're turning it into some like, uh, it, it was fascinating. Anyways, in the middle of North Dakota, people from probably Japan, I think, because they follow cherry blossoms around the world as well. And so they're here they are in North Dakota taking, you know, and it's a pretty weed. It is a weed and it's got a yellow flower. And so it does look kind of cool. You know, you got 10,000 acres of rapeseed. Yeah, it, it's a blanket of yellow. But I just looked at it and I said, man, I said, people don't realize that we're losing a lifestyle that's come from so far back. And, you know, from our heritage and everything, from our grandparents, our great grandparents. I said, well, bullshit, we're going to get back into an international lifestyle that people don't even understand yet. So that's kind of where that thought came from. Yeah. Well, and it's important that we get back to it, right? Because it's funny, like the visual of that weed and all the yellow flowers may may look pretty, but I think we'll look back years, decades from now and think of it as pretty dystopian because you're taking a picture mm -hmm. of something that will eventually turn into poison. And yeah, uh, and it's just like a, a trend that's growing and... It's quite scary, but it does seem like the counterpunch is picking up with mm -hmm. your international lifestyle, the seed oil disrespecters out there, uh, people um, like the meat mafia guys going out yeah. there and getting a good education out. You setting up these summits now. We're calling them summits now. You bet. I mean, that's what it is. You know, these conferences right now, especially in Bitcoin, they're kind of getting played out a little bit. They're taking yeah. a little hit because they're just everywhere, which is fine. It means people are really trying to do something. But I just feel like a conference doesn't do it justice, especially kind of like what happened in Colorado. And then, you know, moving on this, you know, we're stepping stairs here is what we're doing. We create this stair, we get firmly planted on it, and then we go up to the next one. So what we're doing is we're going towards a summit of, you know, so many different things right now. And so that's what we got to... I think we should start referring to them as summits, especially like the four ones we're having this year. But also on that micro scale and getting that hyper localization going, you know, I, we need to leverage not the Bitcoin meetups, but basically we need to be having one of these every damn month of the year across the United States now. 
in that way, everybody gets to come to them. And it's not something that is scripted, but it's something that takes place where you are, where you're sitting and standing, just like Colorado. You know, a lot of people never been to that part of Colorado and people that even live in Colorado haven't been out that way. And that's that was the purpose is like you got to be very damn intentional about coming here and you're going to come here and you're going to understand that you're leaving with a new mindset that basically can scale across this world. And I think that's what we're starting to see. So calling it a summit means it's more international. It's it's the peak of what people should be looking at, especially with food, you know, sound money, sound health, sound communications for a sound future. In every one of these summits now, that's what we're going to do. And the education that we took away from Colorado was fascinating. I've never seen anything like it in a short period of time. Uh, tell us more about that. I mean, Matt and I have talked about uh, the Colorado Beef Initiative Summit on RHR. Uh, he rehashed his experience, but I, I'd mm-hmm. like to hear your perspective too, because I know um, well, there's a lot you of know, up to this. Yeah, there was. And, you know, it, it's it's really cool. <laughs> I think it was Aaron, uh, Death and Bitcoin. She said, you know, Friday night felt like we were in high school, <laughs> maybe a high school reunion or, you know, whatever it was. But everybody was showing up. And you, you know how it is, Marty. You don't know people with what they look like. But all of a sudden you've got, I think that night we had Friday night. People started showing up on Thursday. And, you know, I, I got there at 11 o'clock that night and pitching a tent in the middle of the dark. You know, our Saris comes walking up. He goes, I know you. And he's like, I heard a voice and I had to stop. And I I said, they're slim. And so we were all camped out in this campsite. So everybody congregated. We always had a conversation that was flowing. Going into Friday, that's what it was. Everybody's parked and you walked up and you started talking and nobody was really uncomfortable. It was like, yeah, here we are. It's a family gathering. It's like your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, everybody was there. Cowboys, cowboy hats, Bitcoiners, you know, and their loafer, you know, just bare feet. It didn't matter. Everybody just showed up just to, to be there. And they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. So Friday night, of course, local food, everything, big barbecue, uh, some good uh, small speeches and stuff like that, you know, set the, the, the ground, you know, the, the roadmap for the next two days. And like I say, these things aren't scripted. We put people together. And that's all I'm doing the whole time is I'm not scripting anything. I don't know what the hell I'm going to say when I get up in front of that mic to kick this stuff off. I look at everybody and the mood is set and we just start talking, man. We just started flowing with the conference and it just kicked off the speaker after speaker with Jason, especially the host, you know, Rick Ranches. He gets up there and distills the show and he says, welcome home. You know, this is your place. And so by that, you know, you just get this attention span and this focus that I've, I've, I haven't seen in a long time. I've been to a lot of conferences and meetups and stuff like that, but this is something that you felt. It's like a vibration there. And people just get pumped by that. You get that energy flowing, man. You're feeling like I got some peace of mind right now, man. This is, this is where I'm supposed to be. And that's how everybody was acting. You know, I have a farmer, a rancher up here in the Texas panhandle. A lot of people don't know how desolate it is up there. He brought his son. You know, his name is Bill. He's outside of Perryton, Texas. And he, you want to talk about a commodity-minded person in West Texas, the desert high plains? Well, he's sitting there, and he'd never heard of mining. He never heard of natural gas blow-off. 
all that kind of stuff. Or here we got a rancher in Panhandle of Texas that is so not touched yet as far as the awareness of mining and everything that's already going on in certain places like Tennessee and then uh, Wyoming, stuff like that, and even in Texas. So every conversation we had, these new light bulbs were coming off in people's heads. And I was watching people's eyes and everybody's just killing it. And then, you know, Econo got up there and he talked about, you know, why should a rancher care about Bitcoin? Well, he found this story about a rancher and we'll release everything. We're doing it slowly as far as the content. But this rancher man went through hell and they just attacked him and attacked him and attacked him. And it just showed how unfair and how vulnerable and fragile he became. His wife had a heart attack. I mean, it was just stress because he was getting basically attacked by the state. And he what was were they doing to him particularly? They were basically trying to do, develop land. It was based on land development. And he had control of certain lands and he was running cattle on it. And so, you know, it was politics, it's bureaucracy, it's every little loophole that you could leverage against a man that was sovereign, that was living off a heritage and legacy. I mean, he was hardcore individual and they would not stop him. They arrested him. They did all kinds of shit that was just nefarious as hell. And Econo just spelled all this shit out. I mean, he had like 20 touch points of history. He went back and got the newspaper clippings of every article that they ever did about this guy. So he really, he painted a picture and he goes, you want to know why a rancher needs Bitcoin? And so by saying that, you know, he's talking about sovereignty, how privacy, how everything is so important in everything that, you know, us in the Bitcoin space is really trying to educate people on. So he, he hit it out of the park and all of a sudden you just, you were exactly, you know, if you're attending that, you felt like your life was changing. That's what I felt like. And so not to hype it up, and this comes from, you know, a lot of humility and being very humble, but it was just something that started, uh, everybody knew that this was going to be, um, we were going to leave and we weren't going to want to leave. And so we flowed into lunch. Once again, everything being supplied by a rancher, local community came out. They were cooking for us. You know, we had people helping with the conference. Jason's wife and uh, family was there. His mom and dad, his in-laws, his sons, his wife, of course, they were carrying water for people. They had mason jars that had water in them that was clean water. You know, it was just so cool. It was a family reunion. So, you know, by saying that, I think everybody's starting to understand that if you're in the Bitcoin space, if you're not talking about food, you're really, you're going in the wrong direction right now, especially what's going on in the world. And if you're a rancher and you're not talking about Bitcoin, you're going the wrong direction. And I think that was the clarity moment that everybody collectively came together with from regenerative farming and ranching, clean food, community, mining, privacy, onboarding, security, learning Bitcoin, what the why of everything that this is the new inter international lifestyle. So that just happened over, you know, almost 48 hours. And come Sunday, you know, here we are, people are saying, I don't want to go. And a lot of people didn't leave. They stayed in that valley and they ended up camping an extra night or two. We had a, a guy from Minnesota that came in. He's a maple trader. We got another maple trader in Bitcoin. And he's basically, at the end, he's onboarded, he's orange-filled, 
he's basically now he's going to start trading uh, maple syrup, man. And and we had somebody drove in from Ohio, 30 hours away, nonstop, just to get to that conference because he just knew that he had to be there. His name was Scott. So we had, once again, I don't think about 14 states represented. Uh, Canada, Aaron with uh, Death and Bitcoin, she came down. She did a phenomenal job. She recorded with Jason that final day. So there's all kinds of content that's going to be coming out. And, you know, we're trying to, you know, respect privacy and all that kind of stuff. So we don't want to elaborate too much, but we want to capture the moment so people can kind of see. Yeah. And going back to your point that Bitcoiners really need to hone in and begin focusing on access to food and the security of the food supply chain specifically. That's something that Matt mentioned on RHR last week is he, he thinks that, and I would co-sign that the beef initiative is one of the most important things going on right now. And I think this is a good time to pivot to like what's going on globally. Like you see what's going on in the Netherlands with uh, the attempt by the Dutch government there to confiscate farmland using the guise of nitrogen reduction uh, to basically cut off farmers from their land that they've had for many, many generations, centuries even. Yeah, centuries. That's what people don't understand, centuries. Yes, and we're seeing something very similar begin to happen in Canada with uh, their uh, push to reduce nitrogen as well by, I believe, 30% by 2030. So there, there seems like there's a push, particularly right now in the Netherlands and Canada, to essentially just confiscate mass swaths of farmland to reduce nitrogen which is a bit odd because nitrogen is the most abundant gas that we have on this planet. And well, that's just, that's people say that because people is ignorance, you know, unfortunately that's what they play on. You know, they don't understand to not make that correlation of what they're doing is, you know, basically, you know, a distraction of what the true intent is in the Netherlands. You know, I was talking to Adam the other day, it's where he's from, man. He knows a lot of these people. He knows these farmers and these ranchers. And the thing about it is people don't understand that there's already tri-state city is already planned for that land. You know, there's a, once again, who, who designed it? You know, it's the WEF, all that bullshit that's going on globally right now. So people are focused on the farmers, you know, and if I have to say this and I have to say it from a subjective, but very probably pretty educated standpoint, that land's already gone. In so many different ways, you know, being bought out, how they use a low, uh, a kind of a, a, a step-by-step process of confiscation of, you know, it's asset reallocation. I mean, I was talking about that last year. This is going to happen globally. And, and, and you know, going to the Netherlands, okay, let's, let's cheer them on. But damn it, you only have so much steam in that engine. So let's see where this goes, but we have to support them. We have to really stay focused and, you know, still the mainstream media hasn't caught on to that crap. But every one of those guys over there, let's look at them. We'll call them farmers and everything, but it's about meat, man. It's about meat and land. It's about protein. It's about pure animal protein. And, And if people can't see that there's a global war on pure animal protein, then you're sleeping. 
And if you take protein out of our diets, out of our minds, you're going to have a dumber society that's lethargic. They're not as sharp. So you get a percentage of the population that goes ahead and goes ahead and goes along with all this based on the ignorance of what, (laughs) you know, the nitrogen play on this, then people are going to be lost and they're really not going to know what's going on. They have to get intentional about food intelligence from the soil up. And that's all we're asking people to do. Do a vertical integration from the soil to your fork, and you'll see that that's basically the best vertical integration into your health and into your sovereignty. And we look at the Netherlands. Well, let's talk about the 192,000 acres that China, farmland, uh, that China actually bought as Bill Gates was doing the same thing. And nobody's talking about China coming over here. What's going on in the Netherlands is going on in the United States. People just aren't paying attention to it. And the ranchers can't yell loud enough for people to hear them. And so, you know, people say, well, the beef issue, you're just selling beef boxes. Well, I say bullshit. You're not looking close enough here. And so whenever people start, you know, understanding the full picture of what's going on globally, then we're going to be able to start getting, you know, kind of a narrative built that we do empower people to have a voice and then we stop some of this shit in its tracks. Well, let's, let's dive into some of the shit that's going on. Like, why is there this focus on nitrogen? What is the plan in the Netherlands? I think I know they're I mean, having listened to No Agenda over the last few weeks. They, they want to basically create these pod cities and like turn that yeah. farmland into to cities where they can aggregate millions of people and have them live in the yeah. pod where everything they need is five minute walking distance from from their little pod room right well what you're going to see now with the, with the play on energy which you're, you're closer than me on in, in energy and what europe is about to go through when you have everything that they're doing right now in the netherlands you know what you're going to have follow all this bullshit with the farmland is you're going to have migration and that's what they're planning for and whenever you have migrations what do you have well you have migrations because of famine and so they shut down that nitrogen, they shut down the fertilizer, they shut down the farmers in any which way they can. You have a sequence of events that you have to follow and steward over a process to where you get to a harvest, either from produce or from livestock. So you take one thing out of the equation that they've been using to basically facilitate and engineer that production well, you throw everything off, you throw the whole global economy off, you throw the whole global food supply chain off. The Netherlands produces efficiently some of the best produce and animals in the world. You know, that land is, that soil there is just so fertile. And so they, they know that they can make one play on an input that it takes to, you know, harvest and to, to steward this stuff. Well, they're going to throw some chaos on the global supply chain market of our foods. And it's already there. People don't realize that we lived in abundance during COVID in ways that people don't understand. And we haven't caught up from that. And the inventories are depleted globally. And if they're not depleted, people are hanging on to them and they're not putting them out there in the free market trade. So you have this perfect storm that's being orchestrated. And so in the Netherlands, you watch this winter and you watch about when the famines start hitting, wherever it's going to be, I don't know if it's Africa, I don't know where it's going to be. You know, I'm not that good, but I know it's going to happen. And you get migration into the Netherlands. They already passed a law, I think, a bill that says you have to, if the government mandates that you have to keep uh, 
uh, immigrant in your home, it's government order that you have to obey. So they're getting ready for migration to hit, you know, the Netherlands. That's what I see. They're putting in quartering laws like they did. Uh, that's part of the reason. I didn't, why I didn't verify care. it, but I saw it. I didn't have time to verify, it, but I saw that. So somebody might want to look into that. And that's what they do. They slow step this shit, you know, under the guise of certain things. And then all of a sudden, everybody's paying attention to distractions. And then they, they're telling people that you got to, you know, bring them into your ho- home, you know. And if you don't, you're in trouble. Yeah, if you don't, so, you're. Yeah. Well, you're going against the system. So you're going against the master plan. Yeah. It's coming to Canada. You say it's already mm-hmm. here in the United States in some forms. And I mean, we had a phone call last week, talked for about an hour and you seem to think you have 18 months to really step up the efforts here to, to begin a concerted effort to push back against all this. Why 18 months? 18 months, man. That's the cycle of events of food. That's how the source of the seed works. You look at it and you say, how do we eat? Well, whoever controls the damn seed controls the world. And they're fucking with the seeds right now. And they say, if you want to be simplistic, that's about as simplistic as I can get. You know, you got right now, everybody's depleting their damn uh, cows. You know, I don't, it's not a disrespect to call them, but the hobby farmer rancher, you know, they're getting rid of their inventories because we're suffering a major drought, not only in Texas, but all across the Midwest. You know, some places are doing bad. Some places are doing good. But what's really happening is that there's a depletion of inventory and you don't see it. You won't ever see it on the shelves. And you think they're going to let the public know that there's an inventory shortage coming? What happens when that happens? You know, you want to talk about hoarding and, you know, everybody starts freaking out. They have to control all this in a certain way. I just got an email from uh, or a text from both Jason and Cole today, and, and it's funny, two separate texts, and they said, hey, remind consumers that the majority of the ground beef they're getting right now is a mixture of 20 different killer cows at the grocery store, tons of commodity meat hitting the markets, and we are still importing over 2 billion pounds of beef a year mostly eared cattle from south of the border in Australia. See, people don't know what's really going on with the food supplies and what you're actually consuming unless you know your rancher. Yeah, that's funny. We had a, we had a, a beef tenderloin over the weekend and it had a big uh, imported beef sticker on it. I just like, and you can't really? find out where it's imported from. So I was like wondering no. where, where's the tenderloin coming from. They don't have to tell you. They, you know, <laughs> did it say grass-fed beef? I think or organic. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, that that stuff really, you know, everybody that does grass-fed beef, you know, people manipulate those labeling laws in ways that grass-fed beef don't mean crap anymore. It really doesn't, and that's not discounting the the type of work and what people do to actually get to that protocol where they can say, "Yes, I'm grass-fed beef." Once again, let's manipulate some loopholes in here and let's find out, you know, let's let's just call it grass-fed beef. We can get that certification. And the, what I try to tell people anymore, man, those certifications don't mean shit. They do have precedence. They do. And a lot of them are very good at basically setting a standard. But whenever it comes down to your fork and you consuming something, good luck, man. And that's it. That's that. That is as truthful as it can be. Yeah. 
Did you see, uh, are you paying attention to the Prime Act that Thomas Massey's put forward? Uh, I read a little bit last night and I'm trying to catch up on that because I keep on getting pained with it. So, yeah. Yeah, there was John Stossel. Shout out to John Stossel, one of the right. remaining legitimate journalists out there trying to get good. Yeah, he's, he's one of the few, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he did, uh, he did like a six to eight minute piece with Representative Massey on the Prime Act and what he's trying to do. And it, it mm-hmm. seems like a, a good step in the right direction of just getting the USDA out of the, and the FDA out of the fingers of, of our beef production and our ability to go to a rancher down the street and have them sell us their beef instead of having to send it to a very centralized slaughterhouse and processing plant to then repackage it and import it back to us. It's insane. Uh, if you go watch that, recommend you freaks go find that Stossel interview at Massey. It's insane that you can't go five miles down the road, uh, get a get a cattle slaughtered and then sell it to your local community. And that and I saw th- I saw about half of that video. So that you're right. And people what's the most powerful thing about the beef initiative right now? What's the most powerful thing that we can know as is is American citizens? It's basically knowing where your damn food comes from. And by saying that, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. Communities across the United States, that's all they did was went five miles down the road and traded half a hog for a quarter of a cow, you know, and that, that's just how things were. And if it wasn't doing that, then it was because the processing center was right there on the outskirts of town. They did the kill there and then they probably transported a cow into town every day. Boom, boom, boom to the butcher. Boom. It lands. Hey, where'd this come from? Oh, that that's old Johnny over there, man. He, he, you know, he raised this one. He's been doing a good blah, blah, blah. They go into the back of the super or the grocery store. And here you are. You have the butcher. What would you like, Miss Jones? Well, give me this cut, this cut, a roast, whatever. Boom. Done. It was that simple. And now, like you say, I mean, whenever we have over basically, I don't know, Brazil, imports over 2 million tons, which is 2 billion, I believe, uh, of beef into the United States. Okay. Just what I read about Cole and uh, Jason sent me. How much beef are we importing into the United States? Well, tons of it. We don't know a damn thing because it starts off in Brazil, goes to Mexico, gets commodity fed. Commodity fed is all that bullshit, chemical grain stuff, GMO, blah, blah, blah. So it gets all fattened up and that fat cow goes across the border and it gets into a grinding wheel of 20 different cows. And then you go to wherever it is, whatever grocery store or supermarket, you're buying 20 cows in a pound of uh, ground beef. And you don't know where a damn thing, anything, the chemicals, nothing that's in that cow. And then what happens to that good beef that's over here in Texas? Well, it gets shipped overseas. And if people will understand that their consumer demand to that 20 cows pound of ground beef is the reason all this is happening, then they'll take some ownership and accountability and say, well, bullshit, man, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go shake a rancher's hand. And now that people can come through the beef initiative and it's growing out exponentially as far as just being crowdsourced, it's not that hard. And whenever you do it, you're going to understand that, man, you don't have to have that stress. 
You don't have to have that type of, you know, food anxiety that so many people are suffering for. Nobody has to suffer through this. We change that consumer demand, especially as Bitcoiners. We put our foot down. We say, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to get together and we're going to work together. We're going to invite a rancher to every once a month to one of our Bitcoin meetups. And we're going to ask him to educate us. He's going to be from our community. And then all of a sudden, you've got one rancher that probably has 10 to 20 customers that they will buy from him from here on out. You just saved a rancher's life, his, his history, everything. Instead of these ranchers having to line up for miles to get rid of their cattle during a drought because they don't have a processor and they don't have any consumer demand because everybody's going down the street and buying that pound of ground beef that's got 20 separate cows that came from several different countries. And if people will start understanding that this is what this is about, is it that's how you save community. That's how you build community. That's how you make your family strong. That's how you develop relationships. That's how you basically get Bitcoin adopted right there. When you have ranchers that are earning Bitcoin, like Cole Bolton's the first one to earn a full Bitcoin because he traded his beef. You want to talk about relationship building and education that went in? through that whole process. How many people down in Central Texas right now know Cole Bolton and are buying beef from him now just because he he was open and he wanted to be educated about Bitcoin? I know people in the Philly area have had K&C cattle shipped. Really? (laughs) That's cool. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's happening. That's speaking of like onboarding the ranchers on the Bitcoin. I know you have some critiques of, of how to approach that. Uh, yeah. A lot of people come from the Bitcoiner perspective and just shill, 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 shill. And you, you would argue that that's not the correct way to approach a rancher when you're trying to educate them about Bitcoin and, and the importance of uh, adopting Bitcoin and why it can help them out. Yeah. And, you know, it was hard for me because I'm I'm not the best, you know, in the beginning, where I grew up, we had a lot of a lot of friends. Their fathers were used car salesmen, right? And so, you know, I have a lot to reflect on when it comes to the, that type of selling. And what I noticed early on, whenever I started meeting, you know, ranchers and stuff, you know, the first thing you could do to turn the conversation, if it started out as somewhat of a quality conversation, is to bring up freaking Bitcoin. And they just look at you and shake their head. It's like, man, don't go there with me, you know, because you don't understand a rancher. What we have to understand is Bitcoiners. And this is something that took a while for me to kind of disseminate through and to really kind of look at it from a psychological standpoint is that's the worst thing we can do as Bitcoiners. And it's not talking bad against Bitcoiners because there's a sense of urgency. Hey, man, we want you to understand how important this is. And, you know, it has value because it is. But you got to play kind of a trick, you know, a mental trick. And what you do is you go up to very, you go up to somebody, anybody out there listening, go up to them and shake their hand and say, hey, man, I find you pretty fascinating. Would you kind of tell me why you do what you do and who you are and where you came from? You see where that conversation goes. And then go up to another person and go up to them and say, hey, do you know anything about Bitcoin? Do you want Bitcoin? <laughs> do you take Bitcoin? And, you know, you, you let me know how those conversations actually pan out. So I, I've found that, you know, talking to many of the ranchers that I did, like going to Tennessee and back and across the South, 
is you just go up to them and you say, hey, man, you know, I introduce myself, I look them in the eye, shake their hand and say, would you educate me on why you do what you do? I want to know more. And um, once you tell me, you know, what you do, can you kind of show me how you do it? And, you know, why you do it deeply? Where, where does your family come from? Is this something that you're learning now or did your grandparents teach you? Have those types of conversations with these producers and these ranchers, these grass farmers, these farmers, you know, whatever they want to be called. And what you know, all of a sudden you're having a quality conversation and somebody's looking at you with some respect because you showed respect. You wanted to know more about them because most of these especially in the regenerative uh, space in agriculture is that they're educators, man. They're not salespeople. They don't like to sell. They like to talk about what they do because it's that important because it comes from the earth, man. It comes from, you know, it's how we got here and they're fascinated with it and they pour everything into it every day. So us as Bitcoiners having, you know, that type of skill set that we can go up there and we are the ones that are basically, you know, getting rid of this division of interpersonal communication that's being driven by these devices. And we go out there and we really talk to another human being. Man, you've got a friend. You're sending Christmas postcards during Christmas, man. You're actually creating relationships. So onboarding Bitcoiner or ranchers into Bitcoin First starts with relationship building. And after you do that, guess what? You're buying good beef, probably, hopefully. And then what you're also doing is that you're leading and you're funneling in to the conversation about Bitcoin. It comes up because you ask them about their pain points. You find your end that way. You find out, well, maybe it's because their land doesn't have value. They need a store of value. They need something to leverage. They don't understand that they need to leverage. And so it always ends up the Bitcoin. Once you're there, they're saying, please tell me more. <laughs> then you get to become the educator. Yeah. And then at that point, it's walking through, like, how do you set up a wallet? Mm -hmm. Why does Bitcoin work? Why is it important? And that sovereignty issue or the sovereignty that it gives you is probably one of the most appealing things to a rancher i would i would assume say. well let's reflect on the conference i mean you know i was wanting to save it but this is a perfect time i mean odell got up there and he said 15 minutes it was less than 14 minutes <laughs> and 53 people i think within 14 minutes half of them you know ranchers want to be ranchers sons of ranch, whatever it was people in agriculture right they were there and within 14 minutes, they had received Bitcoin and they had given Bitcoin and they had a wallet. And they, <laughs> we had to say, hey, we got to move on here. We got to move on because everybody was so damn excited about what had just happened. And the intimidation factor was over with. And now every, since I've gotten back DM after DM, my head won't stop spinning. I want to know more. I want to know more. What was his name? What's his handle? Blah, blah, blah. I need to be educated. So it's happening. And that's exactly, Odell is masterful of doing what he does, of course. But it is that simple because we had the relationship already built. The trust was there. And so people, they're not intimidated. They feel like, okay, I mean, Ibex was there. Michael with Oshi was there. You know, everybody was working together and it, it was so streamlined. It was fascinating. Yeah. That's, it's, once you develop that layer of trust and somebody's like, okay, 
this person's asking me to download an app on my phone. Like, you need trust there. Like, can I trust them to download this app? Are they trying to scam me? But once you get to that point of trust, it is pretty incredible how easy it is to use Bitcoin. Like you just download an app, write down a few words, and uh, and then uh, you're you're onboarded on the Bitcoin. It's not as hard as many people make it out to be. It's it's simply just downloading some software, creating private public key pairs, and going on your way, just beginning to receive and then send Bitcoin from there. Yeah, and that's where I try to put it in perspective because, you know, when I was younger in technology, I remember people were terrified to buy something on the internet, right? I mean, everybody was. And so you look at it and you kind of reflect back on those times of like, you know, people wouldn't buy a pair of shoes off the internet because that was their credit card information. They were not about to give that up. And, you know, there was a lot of adoption that had to happen. Well, it's the same right now. So once again, it goes back to perspective, you know, you knowing and understanding these people are intimidated and they don't want to admit that they're intimidated. And once you get somebody that's got that brain blocked like that, then you got you to gotta punch through. And like you said, you know, getting somebody to download an app, it, it builds that trust. It has to have that trust. Yeah. Yeah. So where do we go from here? We have Robert Downey Jr. going on Stephen Colbert's show saying that we need to eat cricket protein. There's mm-hmm. a very concerted effort to get us to eat the bugs and to, to cull our cattle herds. Do we well, have a potent counterpunch? Like is the ground work that you've done over the last year making headway? I mean, I mentioned my wife's cousins are buying half cattle. So it seems like things are happening. But I do think considering what's going on in the Netherlands, Canada, uh, the land grab here in the United States by Bill Gates and some foreign actors, like the, things need to accelerate a bit even though we've made considerable progress here. Yeah. Well, I, one was, it was back in November. I think I, it was on a podcast and I said, get ready. There's a global marketing plan that's being released in 2022. It's going to deal with Hollywood. It's going to deal with everybody, UN, everything that they've done from DiCaprio to now whatever Iron Man dude and all that kind of crap is happening. And so Iron Man, yeah. I saw pictures of him. He looks kind of frail. But anyways, this marketing plan is definitely, it's a global thing. It's just like how COVID was a global marketing plan. This global industrial food shift is what I've been telling everybody the year. This is part of the global industrial food shift. This is what they're doing. They're stacking another fake commodity within our consumption models. And everybody looks, you know, say that Downey Jr. did that stuff on Colbert. So let's let's talk about that. What he's doing, he's he's signaling, right? He's doing he's grooming. He's grooming in a way and he's somewhat of the distraction because what people don't understand, they say, I'm not going to eat that veggie burger. I'm not going to eat that 3D printed steak or that stem cell grown meat. Well, bullshit. You are too and you're not even going to know it. And that's what people are missing here. It's not the burger or the steak they're going to make you eat. It's everything that you eat already. They're going to shove it in there and they don't have to tell you what it is. Has anybody heard of cricket dust? You know, there's so many ways that they can micro process that shit down into fine, fine grains and they can put it in that bean and beef burrito and you'll never even know it. And that's where all this is going. 
that's what they're doing. That's how they're taking the animal out of our consumption models. That's how they're doing the land grabs because people are selling out and people are basically, you know, the assets are being reallocated in ways they don't want. Netherlands, and then people are selling out ranches, United States, people are selling farmland, United States. So as they do that, they don't have to basically have the animal or the soil into your consumption model anymore. You're just doing this stuff that's from the chemical labs and you're going to say it tastes good. And they know that they're going to have massive success doing this in certain ways. And especially when it comes to children, that they will target them the most. And that's what they're doing right now is this idealistic, especially teenagers and college kids, you get this idealistic uh, bullshit type of uh, mindset when it comes to vegetarianism and veganism and how they're basically tying it into climate change. Then you become, you know, you become a force of consumption on something that's basically going to nutritionally starve your brain, but you're going to say that it tastes good and you're saving the planet. That's where this is going, and I don't know the percentages, but they're going to have massive, massive, massive success because they already have. 78% of Americans are now obese or overweight. They don't give a shit. They say it tastes good. <laughs> Mike Cernovich, we were talking about that last week on our phone call. It was very disappointing to see him uh, hit the Twitter uh, airwaves to say, yeah, the food tastes better. Like Ice cream today tastes so much better than the early 90s. Like, What are you talking yeah. about? Better. Well, you look at that. I mean, that that goes to show you right there. I'm not picking on him. He does. He, I guess he does a lot for space. I don't really follow him because he talks too much politics for me. But anyways, for somebody like that of that caliber that's supposed to be based and really, you know, strong alpha male, you know, all that kind of stuff that is, is out there that's re-signaled his counterpunch that he's doing. That's where we're basically need to be afraid because that shows you the true separation and ignorance of what food really is. When you have a company, a global corporation like Royal DSM out of the Netherlands that basically made $9 billion in revenue during COVID because they design taste. So somebody out there like, like he, he said food tastes better. <laughs> he didn't say anything about nutrition, man. He didn't say anything else. And whenever you have a company says that we're the global food science company of the world, you don't have science in food, people. You have biology in food. Whenever you say that your food is ba backed by science, you're fucked. And if you believe that that's something that's positive and something that is actually going to benefit you or your child's nutrition you're clueless. And it's not a judgment, man. It's an observation right now. People need to re-evaluate why they desire what they desire because you've got companies like Rural DSM that are designing your taste buds to react in a certain different way. And your taste buds are talking to your freaking brain waves. And you think they can manipulate that chemical to make something taste exactly like it's supposed to naturally? then, you know, the deception is really getting a little pretty deep here. And as far as consumption models, you know, you know, the type of food, the, the insulin resistance that we go through, the basically the internal chaos that your body's going through eating this food right now. Well, it's got it's about to be ramped up because people say it tastes good. Yeah, now, you use the terms deception. It's like some weird form of wizardry where and I, I've been saying a lot, particularly 
in the context of these land grabs for farmers land is that there's demonic forces at play. And you mentioned grooming in the context of Robert Downey Jr., the fragile Iron Man on Stephen Colbert. But that was another clip that was on No Agenda a few weeks ago that was stunning. There was there's apparently like a a five minute podcast that comes out weekly that's supposed to help children uh, develop the uh, the uh, routine of brushing their teeth. And it's, it's for quite a while, it was just simply like, yes, brush your teeth to the right, to the left, get back there. And then in this one episode that dropped within the last month or two, the, the woman just started uh, basically grooming children to get ready to eat crickets. Like, ah, oh, you feel the texture of the toothbrush in your mouth? Like that feels a certain way. Uh, let's imagine that we're eating crickets and uh, let's think about the crunch uh, uh, that that they produce and, and let's walk through that mentally, like literally grooming young children learning how to brush their teeth to get ready to eat crickets. It's it, yeah. it's it seems like there's some like evil forces, uh, whether it's deception, wizardry, or truly demonic forces that are getting some weird nefarious pleasure out of feeding humans crickets no there's you know everybody looks at you know bill gates and soros and all this kind of shit no plows and all that i i agree with you hunter spit man this is a spirit thing this is a true cognitive conscious spirit thing that's going on in in covid proved that man you're getting people saying man i i just i was i was in a fog i wasn't thinking i was just listening i was complying because i was you hear all that kind of bullshit well, let's look at it, how they're doing with food. And, and I, I bring this up in certain circles is like whenever you can get a society to intentionally starve itself, you have won. And that's what's going on here. You know, we're overfed and we're nutritionally starved. And, you know, that nutritionally starved basically it starts in the brain first and then it goes to the rest of the body. Because your body now, we can show that you can be obese, but you can basically be uh, basically nutritionally starved in the brain. I mean, you're, you're, you have a brain fog. And so to get people to truly really buy in and become kind of your warrior of climate change and, you know, better nutrition because of, you know, you've groomed the kids of, you know, cricket protein is better than beef, you know, and that's what they're doing. And you look at you look at their angles and whenever it does hit pop culture like it's hitting right now, that's when parents should be terrified. Because guess who, you know, who has con contracts with the public school systems in the United States? Well, it's government. Who controls the, the food programs? Well, it's the United States government. Well, guess what the United States government is, you know, doing? Well, they're grooming kids to basically, you know, brush their teeth and eat crickets. And so that's just a form of making people not understand the, the, true, um, the true agenda here, right? And so when that type of deception can occur on a mass scale, Man, it, it's not about a corporation. It's it's not about one government. It's about a collective that is, has seeped into our consciousness. And, you know, how do you explain it? Wizardy, you know, evil forces, you call it whatever you want, but the shit's happening. And it, it's not something that's not a nuclear blast. It's not a light switch. It gradually goes in. But right now they have so much power to be able to transition basically our consciousness as a nation right now in a way that people just don't get it. And, you know, that's why, you know, I always ask once again, you know, why do you desire what you desire? You're going to have to answer these questions pretty quick.
Because if you're not engineering your own suffering right now, your suffering is about to get engineered upon you in ways that you don't understand. So, you know, lose the pop culture crap. Lose, you know, turn off your damn TV, change your consumption model, and it should be totally focused on your family, your heritage, and where you actually get your food from. And you need to develop those relationships. Even if this all doesn't come down to being something as nefarious as you and I think it is, well, guess what? You've only got a net positive moving forward. You're eating better. You're healthier. You're not, you know, you're happier. You're enjoying your days. You're not in this fear porn state of mind that everybody is in this, you know, this quiet desperation that a lot of people are living through. It all starts with your consumption models. And so, you know, I don't try, I'm not trying to be preachy. It's just that I just want people to kind of take hold right here and say, man, this is a positive thing that's going on in the world right now, what we're doing. You know, Beef Initiative started in the Bitcoin space on purpose, you know, there was no other way to get this started. No other way. What, a fiat marketing plan? No. <laughs> you know, no. It has to be grassroots, man. And look where we are. So that's that's exciting. So if I come across as kind of being a smart ass or preachy, it's not that. It's just it's I'm shaking you and saying, Hey bud, let's come on. Let's let's do this together. Let's really do this together. Yeah. And I don't want to come off preachy either, but I'm sitting on the back porch of my in-laws house on an island that I've been coming to since I was two weeks old. And it's just been really, I feel really fortunate to be able to live down here in the summers and I've got my wife's family. I've got my extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, their kids. And um, it's just really cool what we've got going on down here because it is a very tight knit community. Um, it, when we go to the beach, we throw the kids in the middle of the pile. We've got my cousins, my aunts, uncles, uh, my kids' grandparents. And it's just uh, our legacy right there in the middle of the circle on the beach. And um, going into the ocean with my son, he's two and a half now, and getting more confident and going out deep in the big waves. And it's just really fulfilling being able to sort of teach him you know, what I've done my whole life, which is just go play in the ocean. Like I'm a beach. I'm a beach boy at heart and it's just really fulfilling being able to pass that on to my son and even more fulfilling that he loves it. Like he, on, on the weekends, we're in the ocean for like three hours straight because he just doesn't want to get out. And then we have a good routine here uh, on the island. We have our farmer's market every Tuesday. We get, we get the kids up, we go for a walk, for like a five mile walk. And then we end at the farmer's market. We get flowers for the week. We uh, bought hot sauce from... A local hot sauce producer here. We got long hots. We got blueberries, strawberries, blackberries, all grown within ten miles of the island, and, and it feels good to not only pass on that legacy, but then to support the local economy here, so that that legacy is able to be passed on from my son to my grandchildren at some point in the future. That's fascinating. It's just, I mean, right there. I mean, we're gonna have this like. And I, I did a podcast with Erin of uh, Death and Bitcoin yesterday. You know, she's living the nomad life right now. You know, she's got her VW van. And, you know, whenever she was one of those people, and I'm going to go back to your story. I'm reflecting on it. But we we're ending the conference. She goes, I don't want to leave. Well, she didn't. She stayed in that damn valley. Well, that valley that we had the conference where Jason's ranch is and all the land he stirreds, 
every one of the things that you just said, that's what people do all the time there. And whenever you get there, you don't want to leave doing it. You want to go get your blueberries, your cherries, your peaches. That's what, you know, everything that's going on in Colorado right now, peaches are huge in Colorado. So you, you get to a variety of choices and you don't have to go far, but you here you are in a valley and you're looking at the Rocky Mountains and you're saying, well, let's go over here. Let's go over to the, the rural gorge. Let's go over to Black Canyon. Let's go over to the reservoir. Let's go up to Monarch Pass. Let's go over to Gunnison. Let's do this. It's right there within reach. And so you realize that, man, I don't have to pay attention to that outside world as much anymore. It's all based in this community. And I don't know how many people from that community that have relocated there. They said, well, this valley heals you. And that's exactly what you're talking about right now is anytime that you get in that type of environment that you're in right now and you have that market access to those blueberries or that market access to that cow or the fowl or the hog or whatever it is, you're getting market access to a form of healing that this United States needs right now. And that's where people don't understand the international lifestyle point of view. You know, you can be a nomad in a small space and have an adventure of a lifetime. And that's yeah. what people are going to start understanding. It's not through this digital screen, man. No. And that's like, I've been very happy. We've been here for about a month now. And I checked my Twitter analytics last week just randomly. And my Twitter activity is down like 80%. And it's just because I'm hanging out with my family, going to the beach, jumping in the water, um, taking my son on bike rides, going up to the inlet, looking at foxes, hanging out in the bay. And yeah, I mean, that's another thing too. Again, I feel very fortunate. I have a very strong nuclear family. My parents, brother, sister, wife, children, and beyond that, my aunts, uncles, cousins, their kids. It's uh that's something we need to get back to here in the United States as well. And you mentioned COVID, a very isolating event that we went through for the better part of two years, two and a half years. And I think, again, going back to like demonic evil forces, just trying to break down the bonds that exist in the world. And there's no stronger bond than the familial bond. And I think alongside like getting market access to quality food, you need to really push like, hey, you need to build strong families too that will ensure that you're focusing on getting strong food because you're, you're building each other up and wanting to provide your children with the quality of life that you had. And you gotta, you gotta provide them a quality of life yeah. to, to look up to and to, to strive for. And everything you said, you, you're, you're planning visuals in my head, right? And I was thinking about, you know, granddad's farm, aunts and uncles and how we used to gather and how we always, you know, we would go there and do harvest and we would, you know, do our green beans or corn or okra, you know, everything, all the squash, everything. And we all had to go and pick, we all had to can, we all had to do all that stuff. But what you're, I mean, what people need to understand right now in their lives, especially in the Bitcoin space or just anybody across the world right now that, um, this is a power move. This is a form of basically saying, screw you system. You know, you're not going to do this to us again because we're going to be hyper-focused on our, basically our past. And we're going to do something that you're really not paying attention to because most people don't know, you know, what these movements are as far as in Bitcoin, Twitter. I mean, we're under the radar so much. But, you know, what we have to do is we have to start using in general conversations, just like you said, market access. 
Every time you're going to start your day, say, what kind of market access is I, am I going to create today? Market access to food, market access to quality content, audio and video. What am I going to do to make sure my market access is something that's good for my family? Good for me first, of course, but then for my family, to my children, to my extended family, to my community. What am I going to do? Hashtag market access. Everybody out there to start using that damn hashtag. To how food intelligence started. Let's start understanding and defining market access because, you know, Jason, Cole, Justin, every rancher that I talked to, every one of them brought that up in the first damn sentence. Every one of them when I talked to them the first time. First time I talked to Will Harris, you know what he said? He goes, you need to be talking about market access more. Not enough people understand it. They don't know what it is. They don't know how they're being choked out of it, especially the ranchers and especially the consumers. So what you just described, everything you described is market access. And, and that's what, if we do that collectively right now, because we've got momentum with the beef initiative, Guess what, man? We're changing the world how everybody wants to change the world. I see so many people wanting to do something. They just don't know where to start. Well, it starts with that market access. It really does. And it just makes your life even better. And you don't spend more money. You spend less money. You really do. I mean, I'm proof of that. You know, And I've got all kinds of market access. And I, I, I live pretty cheap. And I'm as damn healthy as I've ever been. And, you know, I eat well every day. And relationships I have right now are the best I've ever had in my life. Yeah. No, it's powerful. I mean, especially, I mean, you mentioned this push by the government, particularly via the public schooling system to mm-hmm. indoctrinate our kids with terrible food and terrible information, terrible education. I mean, not only were we becoming obese and uh, malnourished, but we're becoming dumber as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's intentional. And and again, bringing it back to market access to quality information, like we're trying to do here at TFTC, what you're doing with the beef initiative, let's just begin getting these messages out there and then taking the responsibility uh, on your own shoulders. And and the onus is on you to teach your kids. You can't allocate education, whether it be about food or how the world works to the state anymore. The state is obviously trying to clamp down on the human spirit and micromanage our everyday lives. And again, that's why I feel fortunate to be able to come to this island, hang with my family um, year in and year out, just because our kids get a good education, what it is to build relationships, which is probably one of the more important parts of life is is building strong bonds and relationships, not only with your family, but other families on the island. And um, when you put it in the context of the public schooling system, they just try to, to diminish you to an input in a system. Here, sit down. Can I, can I tell you a story I heard from a rancher the other day? It's uh, Weldon Warren out of Holy Cow. They're out here in uh, West Texas outside of Lubbock. Well, you know, the four sixes ranches, this is a great case study. And I'm going to challenge some people here because we're, we're actually this next two weeks, we're going to find out the truth on this, but it'd be fun to do this on Twitter to ask questions because Taylor Sheridan, you know, he's a, the, the poster boy for, uh, four sixes ranches now, you know, Yellowstone productions, all that kind of stuff. They own the four sixes and that's out in Guthrie County in Texas, who's one of the biggest ranches in the world. One thing is there, the guy that used to run that ranch, I can't remember his name right now, but Weldon knows him. 
And basically what they did in Guthrie County in this public school system there, the four ranch, four, six ranches, basically the six, 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 six ranch overtook, not overtook. They took over the school uh, menu, their meal plan, every bit of it from the breakfast to lunch, anything that that school provided, the public school provided to that county as far because it's a county, it's not that big, you know, it's mostly the ranch. Guthrie County, Texas. But what they did is they took over. Guess what? Attendance improved, test improved, health improved, athletics improved, everything because they were being fed by a ranch. And so I'm trying to get my hands on that study. And I don't know if it changed since it changed ownership. But that that is part of history that did happen. So, you know, I'm going to go out there and we can all start <laughs> tagging Taylor Sheridan and four ranches and say, hey, tell us how your uh, your foreman, you know, fed a county. Let's hear more about that story. And let's see if you'll accept that challenge and say, come on now, y'all are the four sixes ranch. You're, you, fed a, you fed a county. Let's Let's learn how you did it. Tell us what happened to the public school system, those children. See how much they improved. Let's let everybody know what's going on here. Well, that reminds me of a story from my life, which is in high school, I went to a private prep school. But for the first two years, my freshman and sophomore year, the food that we had at school was incredible because we contracted out to a to a local producer and um, catering company that basically made food fresh every day. And then my junior year, for whatever reason, the school decided to sign a contract with Aramark and the quality of the food went precipitously down uh, the beginning of my junior year. There was like a huge uproar and it, I would be fascinated. I, I doubt they did any studies on this or you could probably go back and look back retroactively, but I do would be curious to see if the switching from that local cater and producer to Aramark, which is just some massive shitty corporation that's feeding you all this processed food, if, if that yeah. affects rates at all. Well, I guarantee it did. But, you know, the, the hardest thing is getting market access to that information and that intelligence, you know. And once they sign those big fiat contracts, man, there's no telling them where all those studies go. But that's why we've got to start out, you know, and we have to start reflecting on that this stuff did happen. This stuff is possible and that we actually can engineer the same thing right here, right now. Because there's tons of people out there that are creating food sheds. They're trying to feed commun uh, communities. You know, there are ranchers out there that basically donate part of their herd to nonprofits. All this is going on and it's up to us to basically educate everybody else. That's why I always say start in Bitcoin. But this is, we're the educators here. I mean, we, we, we're asking to be educated so we can educate outwardly even further because we're global. We don't have any boundaries, man. We, you know, this is Bitcoin. And that's the same thing with the beef initiative. The same thing with food intelligence. Same thing with community building. What is it Rod came up with? You know, we're going to build out locally and we're going to broadcast globally. And that's what everybody needs to understand and really visualize that and how we do that. Yeah. And the opportunity to do that's never been better. I mean, we have this show here, you have your mm -hmm. broadcast, Adam's got no agenda and people are fiending for this information too. We've been talking a lot about the evil forces in the world sort of trying to cattle herd us into this dystopian future where we're eating shit food and getting dumber and dumber and fatter and fatter and more malnourished over time. But there's a counter, the counter, there is a counterpunch to that, which is the human spirit. You can just feel it. There's a, 
an angst in, in the air where people are beginning to uh, feel alarm systems going off in their brains and, and outwardly seek better information. Um, so, and then that's, I guess, we, we can sit here and opine about the ever impending doom of the, the global the central planning apparatus and what it's trying to do to us. But I think the silver lining here is that it's really invigorating the human spirit and, and pushing people to begin to, to fight back. I mean, we're seeing it on the ground. The Netherlands, Canada hasn't even really started to push the farmers, but I've already seen a lot of uh, videos of farmers on the ground beginning to mobilize and push back and educate people. Um, and it, it is encouraging to see that the, the human spirit has been ignited a bit and the, the animal spirits are, are, are waking up to say, hey, wait a second, this is not okay. It's not the future I want to live in. It's not the future I want my children to live in. Like, let's, let's pause for a minute and figure out what's going on. Yeah. It, 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 to, to counter that as far as a positive, I mean, that's what I'm getting in, in, in far, you know, the signal coming into me. And I, I filter a lot of my life right now, especially. And so for me to be feeling pretty confident and positive that this is it, me and Cole and Jason back in October of last year, I believe it was Cole first and then Jason, they both really, really looked at me in the eye and said, if we're going to do this, we got to do it this year. And that's it. And so here we are going August, we're getting into September, change of seasons, change of uh, intentions, changes of planning, changes of logistics, everything in life changes in the fall. Well, get ready, guys, because this is the perfect storm. And the perfect storm doesn't have to be the fear porn. It doesn't have to just accept that something bigger than us is happening and it's probably not in our favor. And that's all you need to think about. You don't need to, th- to worry about it. You don't need to break it down anymore. But what you need to do is put more, basically, energy into what the solutions are. We have solutions. We have proof of work, especially in the Beef Initiative. Our technologies, everything that we've done, I mean, it's taken us to get here, but we're flowing and, and it's happening. And so everybody can be a part of this. And we don't, this is it. This is what we, we, we kind of signed up for whenever we had that clarity moment of what Bitcoin is. And people always want to say, when's it going to be adopted? Well, right now it's, it's here. This is how we get in, in here. This is how we get in, into communities. This is how we get in, into households. This is how we get it into industry. This is how it works. Start with a rancher, the rancher, you know, he might wholesale. Well, they go to the restaurants, they get them on boarded. You go to your, you know, their, their, their communities around there saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to onboard you. I got ranchers now that are orange peeling their community. Think about that. They're going to like Jason up in Colorado. He goes to all kinds of different functions during the week and during the month. And well, he's orange peeling saying, I'm a rancher. I'm regenerative. This is what I do. You know who I am. I'm an educator. Well, now I'll accept Bitcoin and beef, beef and Bitcoin. And people are basically getting there and they're showing up to hear Jason orange peel them. So that's what we do. That's how we get this moving because what do we trade with Bitcoin? A lot of people just hodl, hodl, hodl. Well, you know, we all do that. That's a smart thing to do. But I guarantee you, you can have one part of that Bitcoin basically ownership that you actually trade value for value for. And you say, well, it's just not giving this away. What I'm doing is I am actually helping out a rancher have sovereignty and to get on his feet and have another pillar of strength here. 
And if you look at it like that, then you need to go out there and be okay with buying a thousand dollars worth of beef or fifteen hundred or five hundred, whatever it is on your consumption model. That's the best damn Bitcoin you'll ever spend in your life because it's not just giving it away. It's an exchange of quality and value. And so once again, it's about perspective and perception. And that's what we have to do as Bitcoiners. We have to be critical thinking on that level at all times right now because now is the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talk about circular economy a Mm -hmm. lot. What better way to begin stoking the circular economy than something with quality beef and nutrition. I think it seems to be a fair trade. And if you're one of those Bitcoiners out there, it's like, oh, I'm going to hold forever, spend and replace, spend and replace. Just um, spend yeah. your Bitcoin and then buy it back immediately. That's it's so easy. It's, it's, it, that's a no-brainer, right? I mean, if you're really going to be that diligent about not losing your Bitcoin, there you go. <laughs> it's just that conversion. And that's what we're asking ranchers to do is, you know, conversion, right? And so why are we not willing to converge as well? And so, you know, you, you, somebody like Cole, what he started out, he just started out the 2.7% that he was having to cha- uh, trade to the, you know, get to the credit card companies. That's the entry point. Sure. Why not? And you transfer the rest over into fiat. And after you've done that, well, hell, I got that 2.7%. I'm not going to touch it. I didn't have to spend it. It's in my savings account now. Now he went from probably a 10 to 90 split, maybe a 20 to 80, maybe, I don't know, that's his business, right? But I know one thing, he basically acquired a full Bitcoin. And how many Bitcoiners out there are trying to get full coin? Well, we got a rancher that did it now. And those ranchers that I talk about, well, now they're, they're orange billing. See how that works is that you have to use it. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it in certain ways. You're going to lose education. You're going to lose transactional opportunity. You're going to lose opportunity to actually make your life a little bit better because you're doing value for value exchange. Yeah. Value for value freaks. It's a powerful concept. And it's the way we get out of this. Like, again, it is. It a is. lot of the conversation, like you have these forces that are trying to, to, to push us into this weird dystopian future and nobody's coming to save you. You got to save yourself. And that, that means yeah. taking action. And it's fun, isn't it? I'm having fun. I'm, ha- I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm having a blast, man. I'm getting to meet people. I'm, I'm going places, you know, and like I say, I ain't got a lot of money, man. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't rely on a lot of fiat crap anymore. So I just make it, make it happen. And the more that I can make it happen, the more we innovate and you, everybody look at that, you know, within their own lives, that's what we're doing. We're innovating during times of mass prohibition. And if you're not taking, you know, I asked, uh, I sent out a tweet the other day. I said, hey, have y'all studied all those people during the Great Depression that it wasn't affected by? You know, they weren't affected by the Great Depression and they innovated through it instead of being caught by it. And everybody that gave me a response was talking about people in rural communities that didn't even know there was ever a recession because all they did was traded with uh, me and you, me and you, Marty, we're trading together. That's all they did. So they, the one guy said, yeah, man, I think it was his grandfather. And he said, somebody had to come up and tell me that it was over. Well, hell, I didn't even know it existed. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so you think about stuff like that. And that's a perception that you can say, well, shit, that's how that can be right now. Cause we got Bitcoin and we got sound food, you know, and we're developing sound health. I was everybody else out there is getting sick. Hell, we're healthy, man. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about that. 
Yeah. No, and that's been one of the most fulfilling parts of my last year is not only building this relationship with you and having all the conversations that we had and all the connections I made with ranchers like Cole and uh, Brooke and getting access to, to quality beef. But then on top of that, on the mining side of things too. Yeah. What you just said is like people didn't realize there was a depression. Like I feel like building out the mining operations that I'm are, that I am are going to uh, hopefully uh, put me in a situation where, where uh, I have that feeling like, ah, oh, it doesn't feel like I'm in a depression because I'm out there building, plugging in ASICs, um, helping monetize stranded gas and, and actually making things happen while everybody's down on their luck and, and just squalling in, in the doom of the fear porn that exists in our world today. I mean, like you said earlier, there's nothing better you can do for yourself, for your mental health, for your physical health than tune out of the doom porn, which I'm certainly guilty of from time to time, but um, there's nothing better than, than being productive and seeing this impending pressure towards centralization and actively fighting back. And there's nothing better than Bitcoin and the beef initiative combined to do that, plugging in ASICs, mining sats to, to a wallet that you control that nobody else can, can control and um, getting a direct line of access to, to beef that the government's not going to step in and stop me from doing. They're not going to stop me from shaking somebody's hand. No. I mean, two-party line system, man. That's how you got to look at it. You know, that it is that peer-to-peer type of, you know, relationship. And what, what, how many of those have you and I established just, you know, just this last year, just on that premise, that ethos. And, you know, you talk about that, you know, mining and natural gas blow off. And, you know, I picture it the first time you told me I see this hut out there on a green, you know, pasture and it's, you know, it's blow off gas. And then you got the cows that are grazing off that gas, you know, uh, grass that is, you know, because what are you doing? You got natural gas blow off. Okay, you're turning that into electricity. You're mining Bitcoin with that electricity. Those cows are grazing on regenerative soil. So you have a land tool. You're utilizing an energy will that basically lets you survive in that same energy will. You're part of that energy will. And it just keeps on going in a circle. It never escapes. It never goes anywhere else. And I told that kind of to build up there in Perryton, Texas, boom, his head exploded. <laughs> and I was basically, you know, kind of explaining it like you explained it to me, you know, the places that you've, you've explained about. And I, a lot of people don't even realize, you know, that this, this is where this is going and how much opportunity is out there within the mining, you know, and that's, that's you know, I've, I've said there's going to be certain staples in the beef initiative. Well, definitely mining is one of them. And then basically homeschooling, unschooling, home birthing, all that crap is coming into the beef initiative as well. And they're going to be at every one of our conferences. The mining aspect of it, sometimes it's going to be bigger, sometimes it's going to be smaller. But every conference that we have is going to be that circular wheel of energy and how we're going to integrate everything that we do in these these summits is going to be something that basically everybody strives to get into. And if you're not getting into it, then you're going to have a community that you can tap into. So that's what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's the perfect marriage. Uh, There's farmland with natural resources, not only the soil and the cattle, but if you have natural gas, like you can create these parallel closed loose systems. Like imagine if you're 
a farmer or a rancher and you you have these stranded wells that have just been sitting on your land for decades, untapped, potentially leaking methane, well, you, you find a Bitcoin miner like myself who has generators and ASICs ready to plug in. You say, hey, why don't you uh, let me come in, tap into your, your pipe here, pipe it to my generator, mine Bitcoin with it. I'll pay your land lease for the year. Then I'll give you a one to 2% of the sats on top of that. Um, so you're actually getting value out of that natural gas well that was just sitting there dormant on your land for decades. And you're actually able to tap into that, produce a revenue stream. And then for your, for your cattle ranching, uh, maybe you go and you're used to bartering cattle for crops or whatever it may be. And you get to a situation where um, maybe somebody doesn't want cattle, but well, you have that Bitcoin that you've been building up off the mining operation. You can trade them Bitcoin for whatever you need if you don't have that coincidence of wants um, at, the, at the time, uh, cattle for crops. You're, All right, you don't need my cattle. I've got some Bitcoin that I've been mining on my land. And then it's small now, but you think at scale, like that's when you talk about counterpunching and pushing back against these centralizing forces in our world, like there's there's no better way to create a parallel closed loop economy, essentially, that is completely disconnected from all these centralized pressures that are that are pushing us into these these feedlots, essentially. Yeah, and, and I was... it. We need to explain it better. We need infographics of everything that you and I have just said in the last five minutes. That's something we need to give visuals to, you know, and in knowing that if we can give that visual, that roadmap that people can start kind of tagging into, we need some good designers to do that. We need people to start making these memes like that, you know, throwing them out there. This is what we're doing. You know, I don't know if you saw that uh, tweet I put out yesterday, but Will Harris uh, wrote a Instagram to Bill Gates. <laughs> he said, you know, if you really, huh, you see that? And he's he's yeah. asking him, you know, hey, you want to save the family and the land and blah, blah, blah. Well, come on out here to White Oak Pastures. We'll show you how it's done, you know. And of course, you know, he's doing that to, you know, poke at everything that's going on. But if we can start poking at everybody, and I, I believe I was talking to Matt from the very beginning when we announced uh, having a headquarters there in Nashville, you know, the Tennessee Beef Initiative headquarters is that in Tennessee, what we're really going to do is, and I'm doing it in Texas right now, we're diving deep into land management. Let's look at land management. Let's, let's as Bitcoiners, let's look at true land management and how it's being done these days. Let's educate ourselves on these places that have this blow off gas. All this information's out there. It's public information. And if you want to become a researcher, you want to be smart, let's look at land management now in the United States, especially in the counties in which you live. Get some, you know, get something we can leverage as far as going move, moving forward with people like here in the Texas Panhandle. We have a lot of, uh, gas blow off tons and so that's what we're doing and i'm starting with billy up there in parrington and we're really going to start looking at about who owns these gas wells how they've been utilized is there any cattle on that land you know everything that you just said as far as leverage and being able to take advantage of that's what we have to start understanding and it does it's it's the land management aspect of it yeah and car i just texted you uh the tweet where i showed that mining operation up in tennessee and so for anybody here, blow it up full screen. Like anybody who's, and start from the beginning, anybody who's uh, maybe new to this show um, and is watching this on YouTube or Spotify, maybe watching it 
secures basically operations. This is our mining operation that's hooked up to a stranded natural gas well. As you can see on the video here, you peak. So back to Slim's point, like land management and getting as much value out of your land as possible. Like this mining operation, that's uh, 14 M30S pluses. So that's probably producing right now uh, about $60, $80 a day uh, in Bitcoin at current prices, but price runs up. That could go up significantly. Uh, and that's just passive income that you're making uh, on your land. Uh, and somebody like myself could come in and utilize that gas. Maybe you don't have the capital to invest in generators and a hut and miners, but there's there's many of us out there who do and are looking for this gas. We come on, develop a relationship with you, show you how <coughs> you can utilize these gas resources and then and share some of the wealth with you because you're sharing uh, your natural gas with us. And um, and then, yeah, just like, again, yeah, this this plot of land on this farm which is sitting there dormant uh being underutilized you can't really do anything because it's filled with rocks and stuff like that so you come up you put a generator down a hash hut some miners and boom you're you're getting you're extracting more value out of your land than you ever could before well and then you put the land tools on it you know and then what are you doing you're beautifying the land you're doing everything that you know they're saying that that they're doing as far as a global front you're saying nah this is a counterpunch once again right there and and that's what you know a lot of people don't understand about the land especially in texas how much private land is owned that's just sitting there that's nothing and it, it just sits there and a lot of people do you know the government programs of just growing grass let grass grow on it and, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, you know, we put some cattle on it and, you know, you, people go out there and they lease the land and, then, you know, they let the cattle graze on it. But that's just the tip of the iceberg of the possibilities that are presenting itself right now. And especially in the state of Texas, you look at the private ownership of land in Texas and we get people going and, and coming in for mining and everything that you just presented. And I'm glad I finally got to see it because you told me a long time about it. But that is the perfect example of the opportunities out there that we, we have in front of us. And now the obligation and the responsibility is Bitcoiners. Yeah, it's going to happen. Slowly it but is. Short. It really one is. Time, one handshake. Yeah time one miner being plugged in at a time yeah and that's 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 what's so fun about this is watching it unfold and i always just tell you know the smart ass in me comes out and i say hey man you better come along you're gonna get left behind i know you're over there and chirping about all that crap over there but you're missing out on something and you know that's just me being sarcastic but you know from a humble state of mind and a his stance is a it really is happening and and I'm living it. You know, like I, I think the last time I was Austin, I said I was going to put in 10,000 miles before I got back to Austin. I'm a little over 9,000 right now. So I, I might hit right at 10,000 whenever I go to Austin this next week. But, you know, it, that's what it takes. It takes getting out there and doing stuff. It takes meeting people. It takes getting out from underneath this this digital trap in which we we get captured in and and, and understanding and just accept that yeah maybe I am doing it wrong maybe I am approaching this wrong let's let's take a step back let's take a pause 
let's pivot and and then let's start up again. And because the tools are out there, the information's out there, you know, these summits, you know, going into back to Will Harris of White Oak Pastures, you know, Adam Curry's going to be a speaker there. Will Harris is kicking it off. Will Harris is going to have ranch tours. White Oak Pastures is going to feed us four or five mills. And that's part of the ticket price. And this is what we're going to have education on the heritage woman, homeschooling, all that that I brought up before. We're going to have discussions on uh, Bitcoin, of course. We're going to have another onboarding session. We're going to have nutrition. We're going to have ranchers, regenerative. I'm trying to get Jason and Cole there, but they're busy, man. I'm going to do my best to get them out to Bluffton, Georgia. But I, people don't know the half of what the summit's going to be because we just released the early birds to the VIPs and gave it, the Bitcoiners a couple of days. But the ticket prices are what they are. But guess what, man? Your three-day conference right now, you're getting fed five times for like, think, I don't know, three ninety nine right now, something like that. I don't know exactly what it is. But you're getting how many meals and, and, and a tour of, a, of basically a historical part of America. It's a 150-year-old heritage ranch that went from regenerative to the chemical apparatus back to regenerative. You proof of work, man. There's a case study right in front of everybody to learn from, and we're going to bring everything else into this discussion. Will Harris doesn't. I'm, I don't know anything if he even knows anything about Bitcoin, but he's going to allow us to be there. You know, and he's going to he's going to be open for education and, you know, that the type of experience that you're going to get in um, White Oak Pastures is going to be just as good or even better than Colorado. But the only reason is because Colorado was so successful. And then after what we do and basically in Georgia, you know, we're going to end it up in the at the end of the year, more of kind of a celebration down south of uh, Austin down there in Luling and there's a ranch out there that we're going to give people access to where they can come and tour a ranch. And then we're going to have a big, you want to talk about a steak dinner. We're going to throw a steak dinner and we're going to have, uh, we're going to have, this is going to be, this is going to be a cowboy up time. Okay. Everybody's going to get to cowboy up for one night. We're going to have music. We're going to have all kinds of, it's not going to be a conference. There'll be a couple of speeches, but man, this is about, doing a full-on ranch tour and really, really getting close to the of 2023 and what we've got planned. We're going to have a summit in Nashville. And then one thing that I'm putting together and I'm going to have to ask for help is, is basically a beef initiative base. <laughs> this is what it's going to be. It's going to be an international beef initiative beef summit. And we're going to invite as many ranchers across the United States to come and be a part of what Bitcoin is and come to get educated so they can educate us. But we're going to ask them to come educate us. And I don't know where that's going to be, but that'll be sometime next year in 2023. I'm starting the talks right now. So there's a roadmap. We don't have to pay attention to anything else. This is a lifestyle. Um, I might even be going overseas here this next year too. People are wanting stuff in Australia. I'm getting pinged from Europe. I'm getting pinged from Asia saying, you know, bring the protocol, bring this type of understanding to here where we can do it. And it is, it's something we're going to build out locally and we're broadcasting globally, just like Bitcoin. And so, you know, that's what the beef initiative is. It's following as much as possible, the ethos of Bitcoin. And, and that's it. I mean, we're open source, man. We're crowdsourced. We're crowdfunded. Here we go. Yeah. And again, like, if you're not excited about this, I don't know what's going on with in your head. <laughs> Me neither, man. That's a beautiful part of, I mean, that's why, I, again, I feel so fortunate to have found 
Bitcoin when I did and begin writing and doing this podcast and getting more integrated into the space in my early through mid twenties, I, I wake up, I don't work a day in my life. It's, it's, it's invigorating. Like there's, you, you hear a lot about the mass of men leading lives of quiet desperation, but as we've discussed here over the last hour and a half, there's so much to do and there's, there's so many small steps that can be taken by so many millions, hundreds of millions, billions of individuals globally to begin fixing our world. And if that doesn't get you excited and invigorated and hopeful for the future, like you need to pause, reflect and, and think about what you can actually do. Like you have the ability, if you're out there listening as an individual, to take small steps, shaking your rancher's hand, learning a little bit about Bitcoin, spinning up a wallet, uh, learning about mining, finding natural gas wells, like these small little steps. There's so many of these opportunities. Slim and myself are not going to be able to do this all by ourselves. Like It's going to take an effort of hundreds of millions of people globally to, to fix this problem that we find ourselves in. And if that doesn't get you excited, uh, if you're sitting there, one of those men living lives of quiet desperation, like the opportunity is right in front of you to begin begin uh, turning that desperation into hope. And, and it's it's like like you just said, it's the small steps we take in life. Okay, let's get philosophical about life and death, and you know who we are and our existence and stuff. It's not a big aha moment that just flashes you and everything's you know changed. It takes you know a, a, a form of discipline. It's not about motiv- motivation. Has nothing to do with motivation, man. And it's a discipline that you have to incorporate into your life. And it's the easiest thing in the world. And you look at, look how we live. I was part of the fiat system for too many, too many years, man. Corporate America, too many years. I despised it the whole time for certain reasons. And I loved a lot of it for certain reasons. But what I really do remember, and I had a conversation with my father yesterday about this. And basically what you look at is like, hey, I said, hey, dad, you know, he said, man, I'm working 20 hours a day right now. And he goes, I know. He's like, when you stay with me and you come see me, I see how much you're putting into this. He goes, I've never seen you happier. And it's like, yeah, I said, I don't I don't have to ever work. I said, I, I, I don't even know what work is anymore. And I damn sure never going to go back to where it was. But it took a little time to get there. It took small steps to get where I am because I'm as poor as I, you know, fiat poor that I've ever been. Well, since I was a, a kid, but, you know, I don't have a lot of money and I don't need it. Damn it. I got leverage in other ways, but I didn't know what that leverage was in the beginning when I started this. I had no th- I had nothing except faith to say, hey, we're going to go out here and we're going to change how people look at fucking food. And let's, di- let's get this on. And it's going to be a slow step process. It's a slow roll. It's a low time preference. You know, I wrote all that stuff down when I started learning about Bitcoin. I took it to heart. And if I'm not being intentional about every one of those little buzzwords and those phrases, then I'm shortchanging myself because I know that basically I have a pathway to something that's actually bigger than me. And I have obligation and accountability about that. And my accountability mirror is something I look at every day. 
there are no more compromises. I look at everything and I look at basically people think that they have choices anymore. Well, I'm telling you, you don't. And it's not a doom thing. It's actually a positive opportunity thing. And if you quit giving yourself uh, rationalizations and justifications, if you quit saying that I have options and you, you entertain those options, then you're cheating yourself. And, you know, I just went, you know, 9,000 miles. How many people, how many young men out there that ain't got crap going on in their lives need to be hitting the road, nomading it out, going out there and orange pilling and onboarding? They, there's, ton, there's thousands of them right now. And they got to have the balls to go out there and do it. I just went and drove back roads across the United States of America. It's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful. It's a, it's a study of history. It's also an observation that we're stacking a new uh, layer of poverty already on the exes- existing layer of poverty. The amount of food deserts out there across this nation, the amount of uh, rural communities that are so ready for Bitcoin to come and somebody just say, hey, I'm going to come over and take over this community in a way they don't understand, but in a positive way. The opportunities and everything that we want to be as men and women right now, there's a time to put your foot down and say, I don't have to ask for permission anymore. I'm going to do this. And, you know, Carr says that from the very beginning when I first met Carr. That's exactly, we don't have to ask for permission. And so quit asking for permission. And a lot of times we're asking permissions in that little self-talk that we do. Well, you don't even validate that bullshit anymore. You just go out there and you get a destination. You set the destination. Enjoy the damn road trip because that's what we're on. It's a fun trip, freaks. Yeah, it is. Us. Uh, <laughs> I'm having fun. I'm having a shit ton of fun. Um, Let's talk about family. I want to know how the little one's doing. That's what we need to talk about. Tell me good. a story. Uh, I, uh, the the oldest started climbing out of the crib recently, so that's been an adjustment. <laughs> uh, I saw Princey said to put Vaseline on the damn bars, so I guess <laughs> that works. <laughs> I think we're I think we're going to transition to a big boy bed here in the next. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, just uh, just bite the bullet and uh, come to grips with the fact that our son is becoming a little boy uh, and and is not going to be in a crib for the rest of his life. No, I mean, it's just, that's great. I mean, uh, again, going back to being here on this island, uh, we're in a multi-generational home here. My wife, my children, her sister, her husband, their children, and their parents. Um and and it's just great. Again, going back to like that's how I grew up down here. Is I would uh, be in a house with my parents, my brother and sister, and then twenty twenty five of my cousins on the island. We all meet up and hang out, and my Whoa. cousins are like brothers and sisters to this day. Seeing um, my sons uh, have that same experience is just it warms my heart to know because I think. That was uh, <laughs> a big driving force, and uh, me being the man I am today is just having those strong connections with with my family, and uh, it gives me much joy seeing that that my sons are are having that same experience. Because I think I do think again, going back to like strong families, it's the basis of society. And even though we live in Texas and we're far away from our family in the Northeast, being able to come down here in the summers and really create those bonds um between my sons their cousins my cousins kids uh it's 
special. I feel very fortunate. Um, so yeah, it's uh, a lot of beach time. Uh, I think we have 15 kids under the age of six um, that are just running around on the beach and learning how to interact with each other and um, learning how to play in the ocean and share toys and uh, develop those fundamental skills that humans need to be well adjusted. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's fun. So if I have a drone there on the beach and everything, right, we've seen all those pictures from the late 1960s of people on the beach and how skinny and healthy they looked. So you go to where Marty is now and you drop in on him with the drone. You're going to say, hey, that's the 1960s. Look at all those people. They look healthy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, we do. Uh, we're fortunate we're a healthy family, too. Um, everybody's in good shape. Uh, yeah, we're a family of athletes. It may sound cheesy, but yeah, we grew up playing lacrosse and football and um, everybody's working out all the time down here. And it's easy. It's active down here. You just go, we have the boardwalk a few blocks away. It's easy to wake up and go for a five mile walk and think nothing of it. That's so cool. I mean, it's okay to say athlete because that's, you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, cowboys are athletes, you know, and, you know, that's, it's a good, it's a good way of life. I mean, it, you, you, <laughs> you don't know what uh, farm tough is until you have to go out there and experience. And that's far to being kind of athletic, you know, everybody's an athlete. They just don't allow themselves to be one anymore, be it, you know, a beach bum or a cowboy it's out there in you. And you just got to make that decision to kind of, you know, follow that path. Well, that's like the beautiful part about being able to live on a beach, uh, especially as a kid. You just learn to be athletic naturally because you're running through the the hot sand. It's not easy. You got to learn how to develop balance. And then you're learning yeah. how to dive under waves and swim in the ocean and, and deal with Mother Nature in that regard. Uh, it's not, definitely not getting dropped in like the middle of a mountain, but uh, there's something about the ocean that's very humbling. And having the kids learn uh, learn how to interact with the ocean on different days because some days besides there's uh, yeah riptide learning like that's yeah it's like small things like that teaching the kids mm -hmm. how to recognize a riptide and what to do if you get caught in a rip just let it take you out once once you feel the pull stop uh, you just start swimming horizontally uh, on the coast and then you swim in. Um, but yeah, no, it's like passing on those, those small lessons. Like, hey, here's how you identify a rip. You see those waves convening in that way there. That's probably where you don't want to swim. But if you do get caught in there, here's what you do. Don't panic. Just let it take you out and start swimming horizontally to the shore and then swim in from there. Um, yeah, and then that's what in the next few weeks here, I'm going to get my son on a surfboard um, and take him out when, when the timing's right in the ocean's the ocean conditions are are good enough get them out on a on a foam board and begin uh teaching them awesome uh, the, power of the wave <laughs> best dad of the world right there here we go everybody's gonna we're gonna hold marty accountable man you're gonna your boy's gonna be something else so. that's i mean uh not so I mean, it's still I'm two and a half years into being a father there's certainly a lot of things i can do better i could work less um, uh, even that's the great thing about being down here. I haven't been looking at my screens. I feel like this place makes me a better dad. You're just like forced to be active and getting out there or sometimes mm -hmm. when I'm not here, I get consumed by, by the screens and the work and, 
Uh, we all do. You know, I, t- I took yesterday off on Twitter. I posted, but I didn't look, <laughs> you know, I didn't look at anything. I just like, okay, post, post, post. And I walked away from it because I woke up yesterday and I had mentally bonked. And I said, okay, time to take a break here. Let's, let's kind of slow down there. And so it, we all have to do it. We all have to say, you know, I, that's why I did the conference. I, I was, I was up there talking and I just paused and I said, we have to, pause let's pause let's take a break let's uh let's kind of gear up let's see where we're gonna go let's let's create that you know that path that destination as i always tell everybody create your destination first and then everything else is just the road trip so i think that's where we are in life in general people are yearning for it they're yearning for a, a power move and this is a net positive in your life no matter what it's not a net negative. So anything that people, you know, wherever you are in the in the country, wherever you are in the world, you know, all it's going to do is be beneficial. I think he's going to go get. Uh, no, well, it's funny. He's going to go get a little one. Well, he's he's back. He's back down here spraying. He? Uh, we've got a uh, my wife's got mother's helpers that help her on the beach, and she's got the mm-hmm. seven-year-old and the two-year-olds running around. They just got back, and he's spraying them both with the hose. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> He's even drinking out of the hose, I'm sure. So, um, Well, this has, as always, been a fascinating conversation. I mean, a lot of freaks are like, why do you have Slim on so much? I think you may be the most tenured guest. Really? Been four or five times <laughs> within a year. But again, like I said. I feel honored. In the beginning of the discussion and what Matt said on RHR a couple of weeks ago, like this is one of the most important things going on right now, not only on the Bitcoin space, but globally. Like there is an attack on uh, market access to food and quality food and education around food. There's a uh, concerted effort to demonize uh, the best food on the planet, which is beef, which is the most dense form of nutrients you can get. And I think what you're doing, what we're doing, what we're trying to do is really important right now. So I, I could talk to you once a week about this stuff and not feel uh, like we're, we're exacerbating the, the issue here at TFTC. Um, no, I mean, I, I have to talk to everyone in the ranchers that are involved with this. I have to talk to them every other day. This is something, this is not, this is not a feel good moment here. This is not entertainment. What this is, is just a, it's, it's, it's vocalizing and visualizing a roadmap that I feel important that I've dedicated years of my life. You're doing it now and other people are joining in. So it it is, you know, it's a bat channel that you can tune into. That's always going to have something that's up to date. It's, it's fascinating how far we're moving. We're, we're wrapping up our manual as far as processing centers, the Beef Initiative Association Council. And what we're going to do is we're, we've got people lined up that want to go open up the processing plants in the state of Texas. So there's so much going on that I, we could sit here and talk for four hours and I wouldn't be able to tell you enough about what's going on. And the people that are contributing and the people that are coming in, this is definitely something that has gotten big and it's gotten big fast. And we're trying to monitor it. We're trying to communicate in the best way. I'm trying to communicate and feedback with everybody that I can. So anytime that I have a conversation with you, Marty, I mean, this is this is a, a, a lifestyle, but it's a life-changing opportunity 
for you and I, for one, because what we do is we mental map these conversations and then we go on and you're going to be talking more. I'm about to get on podcasts with uh, Jack with Survival Podcast at, at the top of the hour here. Well, Wes, I'm going to spread it out to his his group of people. And so this is what this is about. We're building nodes here. We're building nodes of communication and nodes of actionable items. It's a call to action. Every time anybody talks to me, they know that I'm putting their ass to work. <laughs> it's kind of funny. My parents like run from me now because I even put their ass to work. They need to they need to stuff it up a bit. So, you know, I, I ask it of myself, but I ask it of everybody. And, you know, that's all we're asking people to do. We're trying to give people opportunities and positivity in this world that's a little crooked these days, out of balance. Yeah. And all you got to do is take the small steps. Go shake a rancher's hand. Just maybe the smallest step you can do is go into your kitchen, look at what you're eating, and reevaluate. Uh, whether or not you're actually uh, adding to the longevity of your life or actively um, eating into your precious time on this world. Both yeah. Literally and literally. <laughs> Pretty uh, much. I mean, you can't be more clear than that, you know, and, you know, market access to a new consumer demand. You know, you're, you're the one that's in control here. We all, the individual is the one that's in control. It, it has to start there. It doesn't start with anything else. Yeah. Well, I think this is a great spot to end it. Go forth, freaks. Take the small yes. steps. Join join the fight to, to save our food systems and our market access. And the future of our children who are down here playing with the hose has no idea what's going on in the world. It just has blissful, uh, uh, youthful joy. Um, I hope that when he does become cognizant, of the interconnected way in which our world works it's uh there's better connections out there uh, and he has more security so that's why we do it that's it 100 percent. protect that innocence within our children and even in ourselves that's our call all right slim i'm sure we'll do this again soon um yes. keep crushing it uh that's all we got today freaks peace and love thanks okay. talk to you soon 